Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining me this evening, we've got one returning guest and one first-timer. So making his triumphant return to Rollin' Bones, ladies and gentlemen, you know him, you love him. He says hello to you, the internet, every video, so internet, say hello back to Seth Skorkowski. Hello. How can you not love Seth, Seth Skorkowski? <laughs> Absolutely. Just look at that face. Look at that face. There are a lot of people that don't. <laughs> My face has also been described as punchable. <laughs> I've said that one time, man. Just one time. Yeah, and you're never going to live it down. Never. And joining us for the first time here on Rolling Bones... Uh, you know, he's, he's done work for Frog God Games. He's put out some great Call of Cthulhu stuff as well, which is what we're really here to talk about this evening. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Seth's co-host on the Modern Mythos podcast, please welcome John Hook. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So It's great to be here, Ryan. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, Thanks for coming on. So, John, we, we have traditions here on Rolling Bones. Uh, I've got questions that pretty much everyone gets asked. Seth has already heard these questions and answered them. Uh, so, Seth, you can take the this as a moment to uh, you know amend any answers if you want to, if you remember what you said last time you were on. But let's begin it at no the beginning. <laughs> I have slept since then, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let, let's begin at the beginning here. Uh, John, how did you get into RPGs? Wow. Um, long time ago. I got the uh, Holmes Blue Box basic box set of D&D as a Christmas present. And I believe it was Christmas of 78. Pretty sure it was 78, uh, maybe 79. But it was early. It was super early. Um, you know, got into the hardcover books immediately uh, right after that. Like, you know, just like weeks after that, I think I was starting to get like player's handbook and monster manual and stuff like that um and yeah just grew up playing D, you know um me and my friends would expand out and pick up all of the games that we could you know primarily a lot of tsr stuff you know i was collecting a lot of tsr stuff um uh for a long time i had a huge uh marvel superheroes collection we played the hell out of Marvel superheroes and and a lot of the other superhero games. That was a big uh, thing for us for a long time. But 
Yeah, and a and a buddy of mine, he had the first edition box set of Call of Cthulhu, which is turning forty years old this year. And uh, man, I will never forget that it had that two inch thick box, and it was awesome. So uh, my I could only play Call of Cthulhu if I was at his house and and tried to go there as often as I could to play. It was awesome. Gotcha. So, of the games that you've played in kind of your entire RPG career, what would you say your favorite game or favorite game system is? Hands down, it's Call of Cthulhu. Uh, Chaosium's uh, basic roleplay system, of which the Call of Cthulhu game is built on, um, it just it just is so intuitive for me. You know, it's uh, levelless, right? So you don't have levels, but it's skill based and it's percentile based, and it just it makes sense to me. Oh, I have a 70% chance to be successful at that skill. Let's, you know, roll the bones and see what happens. And I just find that very intuitive. So I love it. Now, I imagine since, you know, you, you are a designer and a, uh, you know, a writer, uh, much like Seth and much like myself, you probably find yourself behind the screen more often than not. So, uh, you know, is that the case for you? Are, are you a forever GM? I am pretty close to being a forever GM. Uh, but i that's where I'm most comfortable. I love knowing all the secrets, and I love uh, presenting uh, colorful descriptions uh, for scenarios to, to the players. I tr- the, I try to make it as visceral and colorful as I can, uh, and hopefully that will you know enhance their their enjoyment of the game. So gotcha. I get to play it sometimes, but more often than not, I'm I'm definitely going to be the forever GM. Mm-hmm. So as a as a GM, a keeper of secrets, to use the the proper terminology for the game, we'll be talking most about tonight. Um, how would you describe your style? And then when you do get the chance to switch roles and be on the other side of the screen, uh, what's kind of your typical go-to play style that you find yourself falling into? Well, let's see. My keeper style, uh, as I, you know, I try to be uh, descriptive. If I can get by without rolling dice at all, that's what I try and go for. And I just try to give my players as much choice and option as they can and describe things and uh, and I welcome questions and I'll you know get more uh, refined and detailed in the descriptions for different scenarios um, for me it, it it really all boils down to uh, bringing as much clarity of the situation to them most of the time when I play it's uh, theater of the mind style you know I'm not usually using battle maps or things like that and and especially over the last year for sure but you know for me it's been pretty normal to play online you know uh you really just you really rely on uh language and vocabulary and 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 descriptive uh phrasing to to try and bring these scenes to life Unfortunately, when I become a player, I feel like I'm a terrible player. Uh, I suddenly forget how to ask questions and to investigate and 
Uh, I'm usually the first one to pull a trigger or kick in a door and <laughs> basically get the party in trouble. And I'm and I'm just like, why? I'm just why am I so dumb when I'm a player? I I don't know. I'm a dumb player, <laughs> but I really like being behind the screen. <laughs> Seth, you actually you made a really good point about you know kind of the that same uh, line of thought there. You, you had a YouTube comment uh, a while back. Uh, saying how most forever GMs end up being murder hobos because as the GM, uh, you're the job guy. You're there to take the fall, and when you get to be the player, it's your job then to kill. So, I, it, if you're if you're GMing and you kill, it comes with guilt, it comes with hurt feelings, it comes with weight, uh, because you know that means that you just took a player out. Uh, but if you're a player, man, you get to murder, and like I know ne- I never get to like do that guilt-free um as a as a gm so or at least drama free so Mm -hmm. yeah i have a a slight tendency to be (laughs) just like john of um uh i've I've even watched some of the the streams where i've been a player and i'm like the quietest one there (laughs) because i'm i'm now analyzing stuff um and i haven't gotten honed to uh, jumping in and taking charge the way other players that regularly play do. So I'm usually just kind of quiet in the background. Like, just, just, you know, just tell me where they are, man. Like, <laughs> just like, I'll, I'll kill. But the rest of the time, uh, they're like, I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like half a second before I had to say, it. it's like, yeah, I'm not used to like having to jump in there because, you know, as, as the GM, you get to like, take the dramatic breath before you speak so uh, I'm usually very quiet and I forget all the stuff that I get onto my players for forgetting um, and they remind me about that forever that I, uh, I'm not as good of a player <laughs> as they are and that's not uncommon I have met a lot of like yeah. big podcasters and stuff that have like you know after a drink or two is like I'm going to tell you something I'm a terrible player <laughs> so it's, it's evidently the normal thing. I I I do have the honor. I'll call it honor of killing Seth in a game. So there's that. Everyone does, man. I <laughs> I die constantly. Um, I, uh, I if 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 I survive a Call of Cthulhu scenario, that's that's the fluke versus anything else. So I I die constantly. Uh, but I also don't like, you know, I don't mind. <laughs> gotcha. So these next couple questions are usually uh, difficult for people to answer uh, for different reasons. But we'll, we'll start with this one. Uh, anyone who puts a sufficient amount of time into this hobby is going to have some good memories wrapped up in it. Otherwise, they'd find something else to do with their time. Uh, but if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, John, what would you say that is? Uh, my fondest, and this is easy for me, my fondest RPG memory is uh, Gary Con 9. And um, I'm at the convention, and I had uh, engineered it so that I had some free time on Saturday. And I just wanted to kind of walk around the con and maybe see if I could find a pickup game in the open play area. So I walk in there and I see a table that's uh, starting to play Gamma World. And I'm like, yeah, 
definitely. And there's a guy sitting at that table who I recognize, but not 100%. I'm like, I really know I'm friends with you on Facebook, but I can't quite place it to my embarrassment. I couldn't quite place it at first. So I sit down, and we're starting to play. And I'm sitting next to this guy, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I feel like I know you. And he smiles, and he goes, yeah. And I, I said a name, which I don't remember what I said. And he goes, oh, no, that's not me. And I was like, oh, okay. And then as I'm kind of dejected for getting it wrong, I, I turn back to my character sheet, and then I'm thunderstruck. I suddenly know who this is. And I just, like, bolt and look at him. I go, oh, my God, are you Jeff D? And he, the <laughs> smile comes across his face. He goes, yes, I'm Jeff D. I was like, oh heart palpitations because when i was a kid you know i was a i was a gaming guy and i was a comic book guy and when i was a kid i had three artistic heroes jeff d bill willingham and john byrne mm -hmm. they were the tops for me right oh yeah and and so here i am i'm sitting with jeff d and we're gonna play gamma world so I'm like, all right, let's do this. And then suddenly, one of the um, the the Gary Khan poobahs comes by, and our GM was a registered volunteer for the convention, and he didn't realize it, but he had a slotted volunteer time that he had to go and fulfill. And so the poobah comes and gets him, and so the game just simply breaks up. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> so everyone leaves except for Jeff and I. We're sitting here at this table, and we're chit-chatting a little bit. And so then this guy comes up kind of behind me, and, and he's talking to Jeff. So clearly they know each other, and they're friends. And he's like, hey, do you have time? Do you want to leave and go get some lunch? Or do you want to play test this thing that I've been writing? And Jeff D's like, I want to play test for sure. And he looks at me, and he goes, do you want to play test too? And I'm like, yeah, I want to play test. I have no idea what I'm saying yes to. And so, because I've been, you know, like a fanboy, I'm just like focused on Jeff D. And he goes, great. Well, Bill's written this thing. We're going to play test. And I went, Bill? And I look up and it's fucking Bill Willingham. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Yes, let's play test Bill Willingham's new game. So then he has an assistant with him, right? So she runs <laughs> off and goes get the materials. And now I'm sitting at this table between Bill Willingham and Jeff D and you know I'm just sweating like a pig and I'm just like I really like you guys and uh, <laughs> and then we play this this game that Bill wrote and I, and I don't it, it hasn't come out yet so I don't know if he's going to publish it or not but we're just kind of play testing this and it was freaking awesome because you know sort of pseudo uh fable-ish mm -hmm. uh Bill had created this game where the play players your characters are literary characters if it's published in book and comics and movies whatever you could be a character in this shared realm where you know everybody kind of you know comes together so i was lancelot link the talking chimp and uh jeff was uh, solomon kane and, Solid. <laughs> and so somebody somebody else so we were basically in this like you know 
whatever weird bar in the middle of the whatever and we're basically we're meeting the quest giver to kind of boil it down and the quest giver now i'm a talking chimp <laughs> and the and the quest giver is also some sort of talking animal and and so jeff is like he's solomon kane and the he won't let the quest giver give us a quest he stands up and says you are a demon from hell and begins to <laughs> attack the quest giver and i'm like nope my character would attack him i'm like oh we're playing that way and uh, so we spent 10 minutes basically destroying the quest giver and didn't get an adventure and so bill was like okay we're done and i'm like great that was that was awesome so yeah jeff i think just thrilled himself in destroying <laughs> bill's game just right from the get-go and i had front row seats for it so you know there was that i love it that was the best that's amazing that world's amazing too because that's like I, I i'm a huge i i am an unreasonably huge fan of league of extraordinary gentlemen not just the comic but the movie as well i love that movie for all of its faults um it has many yes it does but i love it and and i can't explain why i just you know i, I love that movie but yeah, something like that sounds amazing. Because I can see, like, I'm already, like, building my... Even though this would involve me GMing and running all of the characters, which would be a nightmare, but I can imagine, like, Solomon Kane, James Bond... Uh, oh, who else would I throw in there? Let me throw Alan Quartermain in there. Just Just a whole bunch of people that I like and no one else cares about. Mina Har yes, Mina Harker. But no, now, now that everyone who's a regular listener, go ahead, prepare the shot you're about to take. A Robert E. Howard character was mentioned, so I'll go ahead and say it. I'm, I'm related to Robert E. Howard. I am of that Howard family. So we'll. Oh, that's awesome! Put that out there. Seth already knew that, but probably forgot. Oh, very cool! Very cool. Slept since then. Fair enough. That'll be my defense for anything. <laughs> and it's and it's not like I, I'm not like closely related. He's like a fourth cousin, five times removed. But it's well, we like just at Robert E. Howard Day is like last weekend mm -hmm. uh, down at Cross Plains. Yeah. Which I didn't make it to that either. But you know, <laughs> I keep trying to get to ones across the country, but all the ones in my backyard I seem to miss. So mm -hmm. that's the story of my my pattern. So, uh, John, last of these introductory questions here, uh, before we dive into some Cthulhu Mythos stuff, uh, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Wow. I could put anything on a t-shirt. Huh. Uh, the, the Modern Mythos logo. <laughs> Which we need to do. <laughs> Haven't yeah. done that yet. Note to self. <laughs> That's on me. I forgot my usual caveat of not your own logo. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, there's that. Uh, don't worry about it, though, if you don't, if you don't want to think of something else. It's probably just going to be, you know, text that says I'd rather be gaming or something, you know. Fair enough. So... In my face. We, we, what? Could have put me on it. 
<laughs> Never gonna live that down. <laughs> yeah, that that's something we haven't had on the show. Someone <laughs> someone putting someone else's face on the t-shirt. <laughs> Although we did bring that up when I had Professor Dungeon Master on, he talked about making a Deathbringer shirt, and I said you need to have Seth's three NPCs heads in front of Deathbringer. <laughs> nice. He's fun. I like him. He's great. He's a great dude. So, Seth, we I feel like we've been neglecting you here for a little bit, so we need to loop you back in. Uh, I, I, I was enjoying John's stories of going fanboy. Those those entertain me. So uh, here here's a, a nice softball before we get into the mythos stuff. Uh, since I was just in the area, I have to ask, where's the best brisket in North Texas, and why is it Hard Eight? Why is it what? Hard Eight. And Koppel. No, no, no. Oh, you don't think that's the best? No, no, no. See, the best brisket in Texas is made by my buddy Steve, who also makes the best creme brulee in the freaking universe. So uh, uh, that's that's the answer. And that is that is in Flower Mound. So there you go. There's also one, one horrible little hole in the wall we went to outside of Austin that was freaking amazing. But it was like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, take a house, a standard serial killer house from any low-budget 70s grindhouse movie and, and stick a couple of benches around it that it looks like they stole from local <laughs> parks in the middle of the night because they didn't quite all match each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a pretty damn damn good uh, brisket there, too. <laughs> I never remember the name of the place. Was it the yeah. kind that you can barely like get on the fork because it's just falling apart? Was that? Oh yeah, it's just oh, yeah. it just it just came apart. But yeah, it's one of those places that's got like some some pit master that they they advertise because you know with the with the diehard barbecue fans. I mean, like that's you know like you know they like you know they'll they'll compete for getting different pit masters before they open up different places. But the the restaurant itself looked like some sort of like you know like an alternate house to the texas chainsaw massacre house which is also <laughs> a restaurant now um evidently that's a trend <laughs> i thought about that well they do the best butchering there right yeah, absolutely <laughs> i was gonna say hard eight uh so i've got a ton of family in the dfw area and uh my brother-in-law is an allen and i've heard him talk about hard eight so i heard it's supposed to be pretty good oh yeah I, I've, I've heard the name i i haven't been i'm bad it's pretty good it's, i don't know i don't know how much of a barbecue person you are though i i'm when it comes to the the texas flavor of barbecue i don't know anything but if you want to talk pulled pork i'm a north carolina guy so i'll i'll have that argument but i defer to we, other people on brisket we won't hold it against you that's <laughs> fine it is a thing man i'm like I'm like I'm cheap when it comes to that. Like it's like I'll I'll enjoy the good, I'll enjoy the bad. I don't I don't differentiate. Like I've got I got friends that are foodies in that area and it's like, man, I'll believe whatever you say, but I'll still go to like the little cheap place near my house and it's like, nah, this is just as good as anything, I'm fine with it. So I am um you know I'm not a connoisseur. I'm I'm just I just like barbecue. Fair enough. And of course, we got to say hi to some people in chat here. Uh, 
Cinemy2 and Orcus Dorcas, thank you for the follows. Uh, Mystic Maniac and the legendary Gamertarians, welcome. Uh, thank you guys for, uh, for showing up and showing out here. Um, so, I've listened to the first episode. Thank you, Mystic Maniac. Little Doc Holiday up there in the corner for you. Um, so I've listened to the first episode of the podcast, and one thing that I really loved hearing about was how you guys kind of first encountered the mythos. Um, I, I myself was actually in the same boat as you, Seth. I was introduced to Cthulhu as like a pop culture sensation slash joke before I found out, oh, wait, there's, like, literature, and this this is actually kind of serious. But I, I, too, first saw Cthulhu as the, the plushie at the comic shop. So I, I do wonder how common a tale that is amongst people uh, these days, just because... You know, you see the the Cthulhu bumper sticker uh, every election year of why choose the lesser of two evils. All that stuff's always out there and always present. So I, um, yeah, it, it I was the oldest one I've seen was like like eighty eight. <laughs> like I, it's like an old joke. It's funny mm-hmm. every four years. Oh, yeah. It's hilarious, but it's like not new by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that probably the majority of uh, of of gamers that get into uh, that stuff at any point since like the mid to late nineties, we're probably introduced to it as the plushies or, uh, the bumper stickers or the, the, the silly Miskatonic university go pods, go, uh, shirts. Um, I think, I think John is probably like that, the, like in, among the ranks of the last that were introduced to it as like, this is serious. Um, well, 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 we were more of like, Oh, hey, that cartoon guy's got his own little game, and oh my God, this isn't <laughs> this isn't silly at all. Um, there was an old Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters cartoon mm-hmm. from the '80s that was collect Call of Cthulhu. So, I mean, going back all the way to to that cartoon, Cthulhu was a, a cartoon character um, for for my generation. Meanwhile, John had been playing Call of Cthulhu for a few years already, so. Yeah, he was probably among the people that were like offended. <laughs> I don't know how offended. I got introduced to uh the literature through the role playing game. I've never heard of, of Lovecraft or the Cthulhu Mythos, but when my buddy in eighty one he got the uh that first edition box set and the rules uh there's a you know, Call of Cthulhu story in it. But uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning about the the game and the realm, and you know, from reading the you know, the rule books and figured out you know that that there's this author tied to it, and uh, so you know, in the early '80s, it was easy to go to the mall and go to Walden Books and get those uh, Ballantine uh, collections, those paperback Ballantine collections of. Uh, of Lovecraft's work with the Michael Whalen covers and everything, the the grayscale and red, uh, you know, montages of of horrors going on, and uh, collected the hell out of those, and and I still collect um, all kinds of different uh, uh, Lovecraft publications. I've got a uh, pretty vast collection of 
books over here. Um, but yeah, I got I was introduced to the literature through the role playing game, and and I just loved the the mystery of it and the 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 horror of it. And but it was funny because when we played, uh, you know, Cthulhu came out in eighty one, and uh, also out in eighty one. In fact. Just this uh, recent Saturday, the 12th, was the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. And when we would play Call of Cthulhu, we definitely played in a very pulpy style. So our games were were always skewing more towards the action-adventure, but then we'd go back to the literature and, and read for the, for the, uh, the real depth of horror and everything, mm -hmm. so... But it all it all made sense to us, you know, you know, twelve, thirteen years old, so Yeah. And Mystic Maniac in chat uh brings up uh something that was actually my my first serious exposure to the mythos. Uh there was a video game that came out in the early two thousands, Call of Cthulhu Dark Corners of the Earth, which was, despite its name, an adaptation of uh Shadow Over Innsmouth. Um uh, and and that was kind of my first serious exposure to oh this is uh, th this is what all this Cthulhu stuff actually means these uh, these Shagoth things uh, aren't just weird little snot monsters they're actually kind of freaky and right. uh, the deep ones and all yeah that's that's where a lot of that came in for me that Shagoth of the Marsh Refinery in that game was a son of a bitch mm -hmm. I I remember that thing hated it. Still, one of the greatest, and this probably also contributes to my obsession with uh, seeing giant things off in the distance and how terrifying that is, uh, Dagon coming out of the water when you're on the boat in that game is also, that's a moment that's right there forever. See, the version I played was the one that was buggy, where when you had to shoot the ship's gun, you couldn't see the target, mm -hmm. and, and I had to like go onto different websites... And they would show me where I was supposed to aim. So I had to <laughs> blind fire mm -hmm. that ship's cannon at the three wizards. So I don't remember anything other than the boat, other than the, the hell of like <laughs> guesstimating where the crosshairs should go on my screen and mm -hmm. get three shots off without knowing what I'm shooting at. So, But I do remember Dagon briefly before the misery of blind fire <laughs> So... Uh a question that I always have, as someone who, Confession Time, has never played Call of Cthulhu, still, even after uh, talking with multiple people about it, you know, never played Call of Cthulhu, um, how do you take a mythos and a horror that revolves around things that are beyond human comprehension and bring them into a medium that is very much built on human comprehension and human imagination. How, how do you translate uh, kind of the otherworldly, beyond-description horror of Lovecraft into a tabletop game where you as the Keeper have to describe things to your players? Seth? Um... Well, it, it depends because there's, there's I, to me, I see a couple levels of that to like the, the incomprehensible. I see more as the, uh, 
uh, the vastness of how deep it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually the, the 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 Call of Cthulhu silent film that really got me into the fan of the the, the mythos. Was it was the the part where he's going through the the box that's got all of the newspaper clippings and he's going through all of his uncle's stuff. So that's pretty easy. But as far as the indescribable monster. Um, I just go ahead and describe it. You know, it's a big rolling mass with, you know, eyes and they open up and little tongues flutter out and, you know, like, you know, teeth emerge and it screams before it's swallowed up in a bubble and it, it's, it's just kind of rolling at you. Uh, so I I go ahead and describe it, but, you know, that that's also pretty much the same way you would describe an old gibbering mouther from AD&D from way back in the day, just like, mm way bigger um so i i go ahead and describe them to them um and you know get into it but uh the people that do it have done it very well are usually the ones that lower their voice scott Dorward is amazing at it if you ever get a chance to hear him do it because uh, he'll like it in real close and he'll start talking lower and lower uh so he actually captures the mood a lot better than i do we're very still uh indiana jonesy so it's like <laughs> that time to punch it in the face mm-hmm. you know when I'm uh, really kind of in the zone and, and, and doing this uh, I like to leverage off of the player's sanity roll because that's a great mechanic in Call of Cthulhu is when you are confronted with these horrors you make a sanity roll you know how well is your mind handling this mm-hmm. and you know uh, an individual's brain will filter and put up different uh, defenses to to handle that situation. And so the fun part is to try and describe how is that individual interpreting this encounter. Hmm. And so if they if they fail their sanity roll and so they're gonna take a, a, a you know ideally a larger loss of sanity, well, that certainly is going to be a more entertaining and colorful, uh, horrific, you know, description of things that are happening for that individual. What's going on? And and even if they have a successful sand roll, it probably is still going to be pretty bad, but it'll be something that they can kind of handle. But I like to try and tailor those descriptions, you know, based on how the roll went. Gotcha. I'd like to change my answer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) To John's. (laughs) Are there bean points awarded? (laughs) Yes, but they count as much as whose line points, so... Perfect. Perfect. So at the end of this, if you win, Seth and I are going to have to do a hoedown. Is what I'm saying. (laughs) Be fine. A a D&D themed... I, I would love to see, uh, like, at some gaming convention, just, you know, RPG Who's Line. Because I went to an anime convention one time, and they basically had an improv troupe doing essentially anime improv, or anime-themed improv. But I feel like this would be funny for maybe 15 minutes. And then you'd run out of jokes about rolling ones. Oh, well, I bet, I mean, I bet we could get a half hour worth of material if you had some good, good comedians working on stage. I bet you could get a 
half hour worth of material. I have an entire corner of my entire sense of humor based off of Hobbit jokes. So, uh, but, uh, dude, they're just inherently freaking funny. Oh yeah. Uh, but also my, my sense of humor is exceptionally dark and vulgar. So I don't think I'd want to do that. At that we'll do it after midnight. <laughs> It'll be a late night panel. So one other and I don't just want this to be you guys be the defense attorneys for Call of Cthulhu based on everything that I've heard negative about the game. But one other thing that I've heard recently on a podcast that was actually discussing Delta Green, which I'll get to in just a little bit because I've got questions. Um, I've heard that one of the problems in hooking people into the horror of Call of Cthulhu is a lot of people out there know when you set the book down on the table and you're like, all right, let's 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 give this a go. They know that inevitably their character is going to go insane and die. How do you kind of fight the player nihilism or, to put it another way, how, how do you get the players to still engage and still kind of see where the, where the trail takes them despite the kind of inevitability in the back of their mind that this is probably not going to end well for us. You know, there are lots of survivors in Lovecraft's fiction. Hmm. I mean, most of them survive in order to tell the tales. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I think it's I think it the game gets a little bit of a maybe a bad rap I guess as far as you know all of your characters will go insane and die but um, they haven't played the game yet yeah. I'm assuming uh, because really the fun of it I think is the discovery of these uh, you know hidden truths uh, that underlie the the real world that we live in you know that there are these uh, you know alien creatures and these you know cults that are undying because you know just they keep getting passed down from you know generation to generation and and just all the the different horrors are out there and, and it's this it's the 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 discovery of having that veil lifted from your eyes and you can really see what the real world is like um that's what is the the fun part i think as a player is being able to kind of discover and and really get to see what this world is like and you know you want to fight to survive in order to uh, become a a defender, you know, of humanity of that, you know, realm or to ferret out some of these different mysteries to uh, hopefully stave off annihilation for another generation, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I think that's where the fun of it is. It's a, it's a mystery. It's a, it's an investigative mystery and, and to just kind of, you know, boil it down to, hey, I'm just going to go crazy and die, that will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If that's all you think the game is going to be about, that's what you'll get. But if you want to, you know, kind of have some neat exploration and fun and 
do this mystery and have that dose of horror in it, check it out. It's a really fantastic game. What do you think, Seth? Uh, well, I, I, you know, John's heard mine. To me, Call of Cthulhu is an investigative game. Um, it just happens to be um, horror-flavored because... In a game like Dungeons and Dragons, which is uh, a heroic fantasy, it's right there on the cover, Fifth Edition. You know, heroic fantasy. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is not. You're usually just an average guy who is thrown into this uh, very uh, supernatural or, or weird situation. So it's not like D and D, which is about uh, kill the bad guy, take its items, and get its uh, get your experience points so you can go on and save the kingdom or whatever later on. Uh, mm. A lot of the times, the the theme is to uncover what is going around you, so that the characters are a lot more uh, vulnerable uh, from not just from the mechanic side because they they are they're, they're very low hit points, um, but it's it's just they're vulnerable because they're not usually epic heroes. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of the reputation that Call of Cthulhu got um, really came down, it was, it was, it's two reasons. Uh, one, uh, if you go to like a convention and you play a Call of Cthulhu game that's supposed to be played in four hours, well, that's a one-shot game. And a one-shot game of Call of Cthulhu can be seriously damn brutal because you aren't expected, you know, it, you can actually design the game to where it is like truly difficult and and hard to live and you know you're, you're not these aren't characters we're gonna like have gaining so a lot of people thought that's what it's always like but it's like mm, there's two different types of ways you can play it um, the other one is if you walk into that game like you were playing D&D where you charge the monster where it's this kind of the underlying the GM wouldn't put this in front of us if we weren't supposed to be able to kick its ass and you, you charge it your character is going to get just brutally slaughtered because that's not uh, how people would normally face uh, some sort of supernatural uh, creature. Uh, what I also like about it is it is horror, but it is also uh, not classical uh, monsters for the most part. They're strange and weird. Um, you know, it's not werewolves and vampires and, and, and mummies. I mean, those are certainly in there, but it's part of the appeal of the, 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 the mythos is the fact that it is it is weird and strange, and GMs are encouraged to make up their own stuff because uh, no one is ever supposed to be able to know all of it. So it's not a, oh, we're fighting this. Everybody make sure that you use fire or silver or cold iron because everybody knows that that's what it is. Like, this is always going to be something weird, and you have to discover it. Um, so I think that is uh, one of the other appeals. So... And then, as John was talking about, as you're uncovering these cults that have gone down, well, movies and stories that I love are, are that. And they're usually the, the devil ones, like, you know, Rosemary's Baby, or The Wicker Man, or The Ninth Gate, where you've got um, people, um, oftentimes, like, very well-respected members of society that are also very dark and twisted, and that there's mm -hmm. some sort of strange cult and very often you don't even see the full thing the audience really only gets enough to know that this is sinister and 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 old and that's the type of stuff that that i like about call of cthulhu hmm. it's also uh, a journey um 
I, I, I got into an interesting discussion sometime before COVID at a, at a convention where a guy uh, was trying to explain to me why he hated the game. And he was like, you know, what's the end result? Like, what's the quest? How is it supposed to end? And I asked him, like, well, how does D&D end? And I think no one had ever asked him that before. And uh, hmm. the response I got was to open a tavern. Um, so, like... <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think I don't see any the role playing games as having a specific end except for your characters whatever it is you choose and if you can survive there but it's about investigation and discovery and discovery you can't know what it is it has to be strange and weird so that's what I like gotcha yeah it sounds um, and, and I've had people make this this point to me before Skeeter Green he and I talked about horror RPGs one time on the show and he he made this point the the scary part of call of cthulhu and the the cthulhu mythos um the the monsters i mean like we mentioned and and like you just said in, in a lot of those uh stories that you enjoy the monsters are not front and center it's not the monsters that are scary the monsters are the people who are doing things because of their enthrallment to these beings kind of you know beyond comprehension of deepest darkest evil and that's where it sounds like a lot of the revelation and a lot of the investigation uh that that makes the game interesting and fun and brings people back to the table comes in it's also extremely yeah. story-based um which uh that's what i love but to me man it's mostly a mystery game just <laughs> But I also happen to like horror, so it's 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 a it's a fun type of mystery. But uh, to me, you could take the mythos out of Call of Cthulhu, and it would still be Call of Cthulhu to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. That is still not going to stop me from uh, my story about Nyarlathotep killing JFK. Had uh, to be somebody. Nyarlathotep was the man on the grassy knoll. We'll we'll do that. I believe it. What? But yeah, um, again, another thing about the the Cthulhu gaming side of things that I find super interesting is the amount of uh, Reese's peanut butter cup moments that we have with other genres. Uh, where they've collided with the Cthulhu mythos and created some uh, interesting uh, combinations. So there's Cthulhu Cyberpunk, which I think happened in GURPS and probably happened in a couple other systems. There's uh, the Roman Cthulhu. There's Delta Green, like I already mentioned. Uh, Of all of the X plus Cthulhu games out there that you guys have been able to sample, uh, which ones are, uh, you know, kind of the, the best examples of kind of the blending of the, the two elements, uh, making them the, the proverbial Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, in my analogy there. You know, I am partial to the sci-fi setting, so um, you could really blend Cthulhu well in uh, pretty much any uh, dark sci-fi uh franchise film franchise you know or you know just even a standalone um uh, event horizon you know comes to mind as as a fantastic uh 
Lovecraftian mythos, you know, sci-fi film. Um, I could see the argument for, you know, the, the xenomorphs from Alien kind of, you know, being uh, Lovecraftian. Um, but yeah, I like a I like a sci-fi setting. I think that's cool. Um, I love sci-fi. I was going to throw the the greatly underappreciated uh, Hellraiser four and <laughs> the sci-fi ones, uh, but you know that's a guilty pleasure movie of mine. Um, I really enjoy Modern Day. Um, that is one that I keep coming back to. Is uh, you know where uh, the nineteen twenties. I love the time period. I love that kind of uh, style of of that period uh i enjoy uh the gaslight era which you know same time as the west uh just you know have a different a completely different backdrop uh but the modern day to me is uh, a, a lot of fun because it's down the street you know that the, the the monster is is in your neighborhood and i really do enjoy uh that one but uh, I've, I've played a lot of them. I have difficulty with um, uh, like the Dark Ages and Invictus. And that has to do with my players and I had to finally admit to ourselves that we are broken. And the fact that after decades of D&D, when we play a game and you put a sword and shield in our hands, we just play it like we're playing D&D. It even though we know we're probably doing the stupidest thing ever, we're, we're still stuck in this, like, um, years of conditioning that this is what we're going to do, and it just it, it ends in disaster for us. I don't think that's a problem with the system. I think that, that we are absolutely uh, ruined uh, when it comes to that sort of uh, setting uh, just for ourselves. Is There's this part of our brain that, that thinks it's playing D&D, no matter how much we know we're not. Uh, but Overall, I think I think I'd still go with the modern age. And I, I love uh, Chaosium put out uh, Pulp Cthulhu, uh, which is awesome. You know, so in Pulp Cthulhu, your player characters are not known as investigators because, as Seth mentioned earlier, investigators are fragile. In Pulp Cthulhu, the player characters characters are known as heroes. And you have uh, double the hit points that you normally would start with. Uh, you get these, uh, you know, awesome, uh, pulpy, heroic talents. Uh, typically, two of them. Um, and there's a wide variety of things that these talents could do. Uh, some of the really more entertaining ones, at least, I find them more entertaining. Um, it could you could unlock psionic abilities you could unlock um uh weird science you might be you know super intelligent and you can tinker and put together these you know weird things a potato gun that shoots portals or something right you know um uh but yeah with the pulp cthulhu and the pulp cthulhu rules as written are uh designed to be 1930s whereas you know your your traditional uh call cthulhu classic era is 1920s but the great thing with pulp cthulhu is that you could blend it with any of the other scenario you know uh, other eras as well so you could have a pulp dark ages D, &D 
Pulp Cthulhu game. You could have a pulp modern Call of Cthulhu game or pulp sci-fi. You could you could pulpify any of it, and it still works. <laughs> yeah, but we still try to play it like it was D and D, and then be sad somehow. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so. One of the interesting things that I've I found, and this is now the third time I've brought it up, so I'll go ahead and just jump on this. Um, but one of the most interesting things that's kind of hooked me into exploring more about Call of Cthulhu is uh, kind of the, the Delta Green world, the, the modern uh, kind of X-Files-y Cthulhu setting for anyone unfamiliar with it. Um where it's it's basically you know what what if it it almost reminds me of Cthulhu meets Metal Gear Solid in a way just because of the like deep uh, secretive military organizations and and all that uh, you know your your characters are operators or operatives I believe and mm-hmm. the the keeper of secrets is called the handler uh, but that whole Again, that that whole kind of adding the mythos to the the modern conception of like uh, government conspiracies and cover ups and things like that, uh, I find all that extremely fascinating. Kind of kind of mixing the world of uh, kind of black ops with uh, the Cthulhu mythos, even though. Uh, you, you find yourself emptying the, the clip of your machine gun at a, uh, a Shagoth with all of the uh, consequences that could potentially come from that uh, not actually working. Uh, so, so, I mean, is that a setting that you guys have played around with at all? Is that something that you find fascinating? Uh, or, or is that one that you just have kind of let go? Well... With uh, with Delta Green, because there's, there's a couple of levels to it. Um, the, the the appeal to me is still is that X Files vibe because that's just that's just awesome. Uh, I so I, I love that. Now Delta Green as a game started off as just a setting for Call of Cthulhu until it uh, ended up spinning off into its own uh, system, which is remarkably. Uh, similar. They're very compatible in a lot of ways. Um, you know, some people just prefer certain ways mechanics work in one versus the other. Uh, to me, I actually find them pretty easy to just mix and match um, anything. I do like the setup of the government agents um, just because, man, that makes it real easy to get a lot of the adventures going is you are sent to this town uh, versus your uncle died. And, you know, you can actually be a lot more direct if you have a mission. Uh, in, in Call of Cthulhu, there is a lot of um, kind of discovering that, you know, you're in a supernatural situation. With Delta Green, you're more like just sent to a supernatural situation. Um, I don't find that unique for the system. There's quite a bit of just Call of Cthulhu scenarios like that. Uh, but I do enjoy the the aspect that it really does embrace the fact that uh, governments are aware of of this supernatural or alien uh, aspects because a lot of the mythos is is about aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where you start hitting a lot of those veins of you know Stargate, where you've got the 
underground complex where they've got some sort of ancient Egyptian ring set up and these people are trying to decipher it and it's treated like it's a nuke. Uh, or the X-Files where you've got these kind of two uh, agents that nobody takes seriously that are sent to deal with these horrific things. I think that's a lot of fun. I, I like that. Um, and that also fits into kind of like, I think the modern day is a lot, a lot of fun uh, for just those sort of adventures. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say uh, uh, Delta Green, uh, my experience, because I, I have played a few games, um, especially when the new game was being play tested and it was coming out. Um, the the Delta Green and its uh, its its usage and treatment of the mythos is I always find it really hardcore. Like like if you come across something that's really alien, that's the game where you're just totally hosed. You know, in my yeah. opinion, um, I remember we were playing. A game and were operatives in uh, Afghanistan, and uh, we discovered some kind of weird temple that was at the top of this rock formation, and you know there was a long climb to get up into it, and so we're inside this temple. There's something in there that awoke, and uh, my character just basically, due to the severe loss of sanity, um, it made sense to just haul ass for the door which is you know several stories above the ground and just did a swan dive just right off of that um so yeah my interpretation of Delta Green is that it's always been a lot more hardcore and and tries to be more gritty than uh than just regular Call of Cthulhu so um yeah, and it seems like Del- cool. it seems like Delta Green has a lot more of a chance to uh, cause the players to deal massive damage to themselves, since you've got guys carrying around explosives and grenades, and if someone goes insane, uh, they can very easily just uh, you know stand around their friends, pull out the pin, and go, "All right, we're all going down." Yeah, you're definitely kitted out more. Yeah, I'd say it's it's not so that the, the technology of the weaponry. I mean, they've had grenades a while. Yeah, uh, but part of it's because your agents, you are mm-hmm. uh, you're expected to be armed. Yeah. You know, you you're expected to have access uh, to a lot of that. Well, with regular Call of Cthulhu, uh, it might just be your your uh, old double barrel shotgun um, that you go duck hunting with is is what you take with you into it, um, but you know, you could still, if you're doing 1920s, you go down to the local hardware store and buy a Thompson and some dynamite if you wanted. So uh, the the potential of absolutely being a danger to yourself and the rest of the player characters is still pretty uh, pretty high. Oh, yeah. Because they won't be trained. <laughs> or at least probably not as likely to be trained. Yeah, I've heard a couple... Uh... I was watching a video on Call of Cthulhu one time, or talking about Call of Cthulhu, and this guy was talking about how uh, one of his players was trying to justify like carrying around a Lewis machine gun from World War One. He's like, my my guy used to be a soldier, and they let him keep his machine gun. He's like, all right, fine, it's not going to do you any good, but you know, if you want it, you you now have a heavy machine gun with you. 
And, and part of what is with with Call of Cthulhu because there is nothing stopping you from like literally going to the heart down the street yeah. and buying a Thompson or uh, I, you know if your if your GM wants to delay I think it's like well we'll have to order it and it'll take you know so many weeks before it shows up. Um, but there is a lot more of like you have to role play a character in a believable uh, sense. Yeah. Um, which even if your character has encountered the, the mythos and even if they're fully aware that all this stuff's going on uh, and if they did want to carry around cause in, you know, one of, in our, our main group that we keep coming back to with those characters uh, yeah yeah they've got they've got they've got Thompson's but those are something that's in the trunk of the car yeah they know they mm-hmm. can't just walk down the street with a Thompson it's not like uh, D&D where your hero walks into a village and they're wearing full plate mail with their flaming sword on their hip and and they're they're kitted out constantly, and sometimes you have to get in the debate if they're sleeping in that stuff. <laughs> uh, with with Call of Cthulhu, since it is very story based, um, the characters should be acting very how people would act, and how people respond to them should be very much how people would respond to that. Because we're not in the age of heroes. Um, you know, it's part of that, like, you know, gee, Steve, you're a librarian. Why are you walking around with a, with a Lewis gun over your shoulder? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In my games, um, the mythos, if the, if the player characters try to, um, avoid the plot and get, you know, authorities involved and they just want to, they just want to send the authorities in. Um, I encourage that because off camera, the authorities will always lose. The mythos will always win against the the authorities if they get sent in and, and none of our player characters are, are in there as well. Um, I uh, wrote a... Uh, I have a few scenarios that I've written that are... I call them uh, isolated investigator scenarios. So they're designed to be played with one keeper, one player. Because I feel like the the horror is best if the player is alone. It's just the, more Lovecraftian. Yeah, much more Lovecraftian, and, and really, you know, you're the only one. You can only really count on yourself. And there's other, you know, there are NPCs that you could call on, but uh, but really, it's it, you're the one who needs to solve this mystery. So this this buddy of mine thought he was being clever, and. Uh, and so there was something going on in this house and he's been seeing some like weird colors and stuff but he never went inside so he he goes to the to the police this and it was in a remote you know small town in the middle of nowhere so the policing staff was just two people and uh, so he comes in basically sounding like a raving lunatic and and we're role-playing this out you know we're not just kind of leaning on dice rolling and then just resulting off of dice rolling and so he he makes this conversation and and so the the deputy says well okay we'll check this out but for your safety i'd like you to wait inside this cell and the player's like okay because he's like i'm in the right and he just goes okay you the cop lets you walk in and he locks the door and you're in the cell now (laughs) all right so both cops leave and they die off camera and then i said okay you wait a couple of days and then you know no one's coming around then finally 
finally the the state police show up and you're in this cell and what do you do oh my god you know I, I, i'm starving and hungry so they give you food and water through the through the cell what do you tell them tell them about the house okay so the state cops go away and they die and so you know eventually it was just like i guess i just die in the cell i said i guess you just die in the cell because you didn't want to you know you didn't want to go in there so so I, uh, you, never, you never face the cat from saturn mm-hmm. oh that was was it that one the the, the sound louder yeah yeah i have played that one uh, I enjoy using the police as the as the cleanup because I have had adventures where they've they've called the police and either the police didn't find anything, didn't believe them, um, blamed them for stuff. But uh, I also have enjoyed it where after the smoke is cleared, they do call the authorities, and that's where you do end up with the very Lovecraftian uh, shadow over Ensmith, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden the feds swoop down and it's an actual government cover up, um, and in the the, the lore of Delta Green, that, the Shadow of Innsmouth, where it's that kind of all started, yeah. is the, the feds came in, they cleaned up uh, Innsmouth, they started torpedoing the Deep Ones Kingdom, and they, they, they shuttled all these guys off to, you know, some camp somewhere. Uh, so I do enjoy, if after the smoke clears, all of a sudden the, the Bureau of Investigation show up, flash their badges, and then all of a sudden a story appears in the newspaper that the player characters know for a fact is total crap and you know all of a sudden the house gets torched and they well you know there was a there wasn't there was a plague rats in there some weird you know lie that gets spread and I, I like that aspect to it but once again that has to be once the adventure has hit its conclusion yeah now the cops show up yeah so yeah i, I i'm with john the, the the police will either be ineffective they will either be you know maybe hidden enemies once the smoke clears, well, they become the, the, the source of the cover-up. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, turning away from the, uh, the kind of modern and, and even the uh, you know, time period that the Cthulhu mythos was, uh, was written in, uh, there, there is uh, you know, Cthulhu Invictus, uh, which is set during Roman times, uh, have either of you guys either played in that or, uh, you know, played in any kind of Cthulhu game where the technology is more primitive, maybe like a fantasy Cthulhu, where, uh, you know, no guns, no explosives or anything like that, but, you know, people are a lot more in touch with the supernatural. There are people, you know, kind of using the forces of magic and how that impacts the mythos. Have either of you guys uh, done anything with that? Yeah, I, I've actually played some uh, Cthulhu Invictus, and I was fortunate enough that uh, uh, Oscar Rios, who uh, Oscar Rios and his Golden Goblin Press, they pretty much own and and uh, and uh, helm the direction that uh, Cthulhu Invictus goes in right now, uh, and he's a Oscar is an amazing uh, keeper. Uh, and so, and he tells great stories and 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 stuff. But uh, yeah, he ran us through um, some Invictus, and it's great. I mean, you know, the uh, the the technology is more primitive, and the uh, a lot of the characters are um, really into the mysticism. Um, so they'll believe that some of the you know the Mythos effects are uh, from the gods. 
they might be messengers, they might be boons or banes from the gods. Uh, but, I mean, you know, getting it down to brass tacks, it didn't really play any different. It was just, uh, just a slightly different, uh, setting. And it was neat to, uh, kind of reinterpret, um, classical creatures. Classical creatures as mythos things, yeah. (laughs) The, the what the what the 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 legend the, the the mythology of the Greek and Roman uh, yeah stuff really was so uh, so I mean I did a little bit of writing uh, actually with uh, Golden Goblin Press and and so um, and I wrote a few but the only one that I can recall what I did was uh, the basilisk you know so the chicken <laughs> design of the basilisk and so I I came up with this uh, alien version on on what that is and uh and so that is you know that alien version that's i wrote that for for cthulhu invictus and so the comb you know the rooster comb mm-hmm. uh, the comb can peel back and it and it it uh, uh uh reveals like this you know orb or whatever you know that's Ooh. under under the comb and that's what creates the 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 stone the paralyzation uh, petrification effect is uh when when it, it's almost like an uh, the comb is really like an eyelid and so it just kind of <laughs> peels back and then the, you know you see it and then the, that's how the petrification works uh with that so Freaking yeah awesome. it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty cool i like that I uh, I got I, I got I I dove into the, the the most recent Cthulhu Invictus Kickstarter, and uh, I really wanted to do it, and yeah, so I've got, I've got it back there. I've got the Invictus GM screen. I've got all their little pickup adventures. I I binged my way through uh, HBO's Rome again. Like that was a chore. I enjoyed the hell out of that show, and uh, but then my players were like, no. And, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was pricing Centurion armor for Jack the NPC stuff, and, <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" And they're like, "No, we don't want to. We don't want to do it in that setting." I, I fe- they they felt like they would have to get too really into the research of the time period. And, Bring him to your uh, house for a barbecue, and then just do a real solid. This is Sparta kick right in the chest. Yep. Which, you are uh, playing Invictus. Well, the other one I watched was that the 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 Spartacus show, which is also another one I love. But uh, so we ended up doing Conan instead. Uh, so I've got Invictus. One day, mm-hmm. one day I'll get to play it. But today's not that day. Because <laughs> I mean, stuff like that seems really fascinating to me. Kind of the the you know. Mixing in the the familiar kind of fantasy RPG side of things with uh, Cthulhu, my my only concern, if I were to run something like that, would be how how do you get the players to realize that this is not D anD D, or do you just let them find out on their own this is not D anD D? Really, the only way you can do it is to let them find out. I mean, you tell them, yeah. you warn them, yeah, and then you wait for them to forget. And then you remind them. That <laughs> I mean, it's just... if if you play it and it's just a one shot, mm-hmm. they're they're probably not going to learn the lesson. But if you play um, either a uh, a campaign or just a short series of one shots, 
where it doesn't even have to be the same characters, uh, you know, being reused in each uh, thing. If if the players are getting more and more experience of playing in that realm, it will take the second one or maybe the third, you know, scenario of play before they finally start to kind of realize the uh, the limitations of this, you know, uh, universe and and start to really kind of get into uh, into that, you know, because Invictus is really kind of a sword and sandals, you know, oh, kind of version. Uh, Invictus is a lot more uh, in common with uh, RuneQuest uh, mm-hmm. than than regular uh, Call of Cthulhu does. I mean, it's just it's just naturally would have a lot more in common with it as far as uh, you you are walking around in bronze armor and yeah, and it's Bronze Age. Yeah, it's Bronze Age gaming. So, uh, which is awesome. odd because. You know, it it started with RuneQuest, and then it went to Cthulhu, and then you know, Cthulhu then went back to the, the Bronze Age, just without Glorantha. Mm-hmm. Now we just need like a, a Pendragon Cthulhu, and we'll we'll have covered all the ground there. Yeah. <laughs> so we we've talked about the mythos. We've talked in and around some of the settings that I find particularly fascinating as uh, an outsider to the game, but. Uh, as we're kind of reaching the end of our time here, I want to talk specifically about the the podcast, the Modern Mythos podcast. Um, and you guys talk on the show about, you know, how you brought it together. Uh, so where I kind of want to begin that conversation is, uh, you know, what do you guys want to do with this show? What, what's kind of your, your hope for the Modern Mythos? And, and what do you guys want to end up doing with it? Um. Well, I, I'm hoping that the uh, Modern Mythos will be a podcast that uh, that folks can listen to, where Seth and I can talk about writing for gaming um, and give advice on how to run, uh, primarily Call of Cthulhu. But honestly, the the advice that we give, while while it's my uh, innate nature to just want to talk about Call of Cthulhu. It's not just Call of Cthulhu. I mean, this is good advice that you can take to every game. If you're going to be playing D&D or Swords of Wizardry, or you're going to play Alien or anything, you know, King in Yellow uh, or Yellow King, uh, anything that you want to play, I think you can find some good advice in this as a, as a game master and as player advice, although... I'm sure my player advice will be very weak because I'm a terrible player, but <laughs> we've already established that. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to, uh, you know, kind of uh, still bring it around and still talk about uh, uh, the Call of Cthulhu game um, most of the time. But I, I, yeah, I think this is, you know, advice and information we can give about all gaming, really. Uh, seconding that, um, some of the other aspects that I wanted to I have as my goals with it. Uh, so I, I, you know, I have my YouTube channel that I do, and I've got my my little shtick, but that's it's a one man show, and there are a lot of areas that warrant a back and forth discussion versus uh, my normal style. Because if it's one person saying this. 
it's a lecture, but two people can have it and they can show both sides of it and they can show that no one way is absolutely right. And that's a discussion. And so I've, I've had a lot of topics and a lot of areas uh, over the past few years that I can't go into just because of the, the format that I normally use. So uh, one of the things that I, I want to enjoy with Modern Mythos is we can talk about uh, gaming style or gaming philosophy and we can go back and forth and we can discuss it the way a conversation naturally goes where we can touch on all of the different aspects and different viewpoints of something um, in a way that I just can't do it as a one-man show because it just mm -hmm. comes off as a lecture. It, it's, it, I can't even do it where I pretend I put on a fake mustache and I have a back and <laughs> forth because that still looks like a lecture with a dude that occasionally puts on a fake mustache. Mm -hmm. um, and, and John and I have have the aspect that we've both been around a very long time but he and i are not 100 percent in alignment which is great because we get to have uh different views of of how how things work and what works and uh different experiences so that's that the other big aspect that that i want to get out of it is just to discuss a lot of that yeah we and we have different strengths for sure that we both uh, bring to the table most of my gaming is short one shots with strangers I do uh, a lot of convention stuff I do a lot of you know online stuff uh, I have very few uh, have very few friends I have very <laughs> few uh, you know regular recurring uh, games uh, but Seth has got like decades worth of gaming with the same people oh my god i find that so hard to to conceive and i'm so jealous and yeah, we're all in each other's weddings because we went to college oh. together and yes yeah, so that's awesome um, well it's probably like well a lot, of my, a lot of my stuff people disagree with what i say and i'm always like i'm talking long-term people and they're like what like a year like i'm talking decades what are you doing <laughs> a year Pfft. new guy's been with us two years and we still call him new guy so <laughs> in for the long haul i love it i i mean i had a similar uh situation i was with my first gaming group now by by seth skorkowski scale this would be a short-term group but i was with the same group in college for three years and two of them ended up in my wedding party so i i definitely feel you on that one and and wanting to game with the same people for a long time so yeah that's yeah, and and the only problem is, you know, once you have like a really good scenario, you've either run it or you've written it or whatever, <laughs> you can't do it that second time because you know they saw. It. And I married one of my players, so it's even harder for me to like, <laughs> uh, try to like say, man, now that I've, now that I've done that, I bet I could do that a hell of a lot better the second time. She's like, what are we playing? I'm like, uh, not what we did last time. Let me <laughs> find something else to do. So, mm -hmm. uh, but. Uh, and John actually did have a recent discussion on that because we really hadn't thought about the fact that he is very uh, he'll do four hour convention games and, and tournament games where he's sitting with people he's not used to and that is a completely different uh, wheelhouse uh, that it takes to do that and be comfortable with that than it does to uh, when you've got a long term group you know, I have to deal with occasionally we have to inject some new blood in the room. Uh, 
getting them to change their habits because it's like, <laughs> okay, we brought in <laughs> brought in some new blood because you guys have got uh, you're getting stagnant and, uh, <laughs> and then they're like, oh my god, he, he doesn't follow the, the, the customs like, yeah, I know, <laughs> that's, that's why we brought him so um, my new guy that I'm actually about to bring in because my old new guy just moved to Colorado and I can't, we can't keep him once we get back in the room to play. Uh, we're going to do online games with him. Uh, I haven't played with it years, but he's still technically uh, old because uh, he was part of the original college group. Uh, so he hasn't been with us in 16 years, but uh, he used to play with us back in the 90s. So. Oh my God. 15 years. Yeah. So it'll be fun. But Absolutely. he's, uh, yeah, that's how we roll. And I just have to say, as someone who is finally sitting down to, to write the first uh, piece of material that I'm hoping to publish for gaming, I, I'm really enjoying uh, what I'm hearing from you guys as far as the uh, writing and, and publishing uh, RPG material. Uh, aspect of your podcast goes. I've really appreciated what I've heard so far because uh, this is stuff I don't think about because I haven't published anything, uh, much less RPG material. So, uh, you know, he- hearing that there are certain words that RPG publishers don't want you to use, depending on who you're working with, is is interesting. And the you know the tone, you know, I I've written, you know. I, I did philosophy and history papers in college, so, you know, avoid passive voice, but, you know, other tones that you want to avoid in your writing. This is uh, information that I feel is very valuable to people, and so the fact that you guys are actively putting that out there, and, you know, with the experience that you two have uh, releasing stuff, I feel like this is something that's very valuable, even for people who... Uh, aren't necessarily, you know, into the, the, you know, Call of Cthulhu specifically, you guys are providing some great information just about RPGs in general, uh, which I love. So, you know, hats off to you guys. Thank you. Good luck on, on your, on your, uh, your adventure writing endeavor. Yeah, definitely. uh, (laughs) It's kind of interesting, you know, you you can, you can read them so long, then when it comes time to write your first, all of a sudden it's like, And I just forgot how I knew everything. <laughs> Holy crap, how do I do this? So, uh, so good luck. One, for me, one of the fundamental things to remember is that you are writing for an audience of one. You're writing for that game master who's going to consume everything that you've written. And then that person needs to be the lens to take what you've written and then project it out to their players mm-hmm. and so when you're writing you don't want to try and write it like it's a like it's a novel and and have the the big reveal or whatever at the end of your module you need to tell them right up front if the if the module has as as is typical in a call Cthulhu scenario a mystery you need to say right up front what the mystery is, and the then, yep, yep, and then and then throughout the throughout the uh, module, you can keep referencing back and saying, you know, here in this scene, here's this clue. The clue is here because it supports how the butler, uh, what what mm-hmm. weapon was selected, 
yeah whatever you know um and then if you're writing for something that's going to be more of a sandbox style most really and this isn't you know this isn't a truism but in my opinion most really good sandbox scenarios or modules have a central theme there's something there's something overarching about it you know uh it's it's desert right you know everything is going to be desert focused so you know you want to make sure that as you're writing throughout it you're still supporting the major theme that's going through uh and then allow your players to explore the sandbox how they will but uh you just remember you're writing for an audience of one who has to take what you've written and then refract it out to the players Hmm. absolutely and uh not just because you're here, but because this was, in fact, a, a you know big kind of inspiration for me as I was forming these ideas. But, uh, Seth, there there is a, a lot of uh, concepts that come not just from uh, Fofford and the Grey Mouser and Fritz Lieber, but a lot of uh, my direct inspiration does actually come from uh, Mountain of Daggers. So uh, thank you. Thank you for that. That's a fantastic book of stories for anyone who has not read it happy to happy to pass that inspiration <laughs> um along and carry you know keep the chain going so it's a awesome. it's a city-based affair and uh for anyone who has read you know fafford and the gray mouser and you you want more of that style of stuff uh the Adventures of Arin and The Mountain of Daggers, and even though I haven't read it yet, I'm sure Sea of Quills is up to the same quality. Both recommend. Sea of Quills, I think, is better. But all right, I uh, I should get it then. Well, it's just because I was I, I I was more experienced by the time I got to those stories. So I, I you know I, I'm looking at it from a technical side of like man, I was a bunch better author. <laughs> but I always say that about everything. If you go in linear order, my my book releases or at least not releases writings. I was like, oh yeah, it was a much better book because I had just gotten better as an author. Um, but no, that's awesome. I'm glad to at least inspired something uh, yeah. from them. And we should yeah. end here with uh, something from chat. Uh, we we mentioned D and D Who's Line and Hoedowns and uh, Gamertarians. Uh, Prax from Gamertarians put this here in chat, so uh, I, I must read this this D&D hoedown that was contributed by uh, by one of our... Oh, Rez. It was Rez, alright. Rez from Gamertarians. So, the hoedown. I was rolling bones with John and Seth and Ryan. Things had turned against me. I would soon be dying. Desperately, I whipped out my massive horn of plenty. I don't need no bonuses. It's a natural 20. <laughs> it's a natural 20. Wow. Wow. And then Pretty awesome. We, we said it, and then it existed. Yep. Uh, it, what, a, what a dark and terrible and wonderful power that suddenly is <laughs> yep. to, to summon hoedowns that never existed before. <laughs> thank you, Rez. Yes. yes <laughs> thank, thank you for you. picking that up on that well real quickly. Done. That was awesome. All right, well, guys, this has been great talking to you. Uh, Even though most of it was just defend Call of Cthulhu and then tell me that this thing I think is awesome is actually awesome. Uh, I appreciate you guys taking taking the time to you know talk with 
me on the show here and talk a little bit about you know what you're doing with Modern Mythos. Thanks for having us. Cool. So, guys, next week uh, we're we're reviewing Ion King. I've got it here. Uh, you know, it's the most recent offering from Planet X Games. Uh, you know, we're taking a look at it, and uh, you know that's what we're going to be doing next week. We're going to be taking a look at Ion King. Uh, we're probably going to be taking a look at DCC uh, for the first time on the show uh, the week after that. I'll keep you guys posted on what's coming up. I will say uh, I'm super excited. Once the Kickstarter for Hyperborea 3rd uh, Edition comes out, Jeff Talanian will be on the show. I've already you know made contact with him, uh, so you have that to look forward to. And, of course... Uh, you know, it's great that Rez from Gamertarians is here because he and Prax and then John and Joe Page from Project Full Blade are working on an actual play project that's going to happen right here on Rollin' Bones. Uh, so a lot of cool stuff coming up. Uh, guys, thank you once again for joining me. And remember, whether you rolled a 1 or 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.